The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. If we tie our happiness to anything that we accumulate in this life, things that make it easy, then our reward in heaven will amount to very little. Jesus was a master teacher. He had a way of speaking to the common man and just getting down to the nitty-gritty of spiritual problems and then teaching how to solve those problems through the principles of God's Word. The most important information that you'll ever receive in this life is how you can be right with God, how your soul can be saved from an eternity in hell. And then the second most important information that you can learn is how you can live for Christ and how He is to be the entire focus of your life, that you will follow Him. Now, we're still old-fashioned enough here at Berean to believe the Bible word for word. We don't substitute anything for it. We, we don't try to come up with better ideas. We're not interested in anyone's philosophy about how to make the world a better place. We are interested in glorifying God and sticking to the truths that Jesus taught. And if what Jesus says can fix you, then the best thing that you can do is sit up, pay attention to what he says, and follow what he says. His method is the only method that makes life in this world habitable for God's people. Now, people have tried for centuries to determine how they can make the world a better place. And people for centuries have failed. You're very much aware that after all of this time, all the advances that have been made, there is still wickedness in the world, there is still crime, there is still hate, there is still war, there is still anxiety, there is selfishness. It's all here. I mean, it's all here despite all of our best efforts at social, technological, personal advancements. We still have all of that. Nobody has solved the problem. And the world will never be a better place until sin is dealt with in the human heart. The world will never be at peace. It will never live in harmony until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes to rule the world in perfect righteousness. This is the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. The key verse is in chapter 5, verse number 20, where Jesus says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that is a very interesting statement because the scribes and the Pharisees were the most religious people of that day. They lived... By standards, they were a people of standards and they claimed to live by a high moral standard. They claimed that they kept God's law. But the truth is they perverted the law and the standard that they lived by was their own. And that was far too low for God to accept. And so Jesus in the sermon says, you must do better than that. And then he went on to show the people how time after time they and their religious leaders were far below God's perfect standard. And whether that is a doctrinal theological standard or whether it's the practical application of their theology in worship, they always came up short. Jesus showed them how to correct this through his powerful teachings in this sermon. 
Well, in chapter 6, Jesus hit on some areas of everyday life that get in the way of service and cause us to, to lose our focus on his kingdom. Now, the focus is always the glory of God, but we tend to lose that focus when we put the emphasis on the wrong things. And interestingly, since Jesus is the master teacher, he knows where to start on these problems and which problems to attack. Now, what he deals with here is one of the significant problems that we have and one of the big reasons that we take our eyes off of Christ. It's expressed also in another scripture. We read it last week where the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What Paul did was to restate the principle that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, let's see how Jesus states that same principle beginning in verse number 19. Matthew six nineteen, He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness." If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Our subject again is possessed by possessions. The problem that is expressed in the teachings of Jesus in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is the wrong attitude about material goods. Now, the root of the problem of the crowd that was here at the Mount of Beatitudes was the erroneous teaching that wealth is an indicator of superior spirituality. Now, these people were taught that those that had the greatest wealth were the ones that had the greatest favor. They were the ones that were the most blessed by God. And if a person had wealth, then he had to be part of those who are greatest in the kingdom of God. And you could imagine that a doctrine like that would naturally lead the people to seek wealth. Now, you can imagine how horrified they were when one day Jesus taught about riches and he made this statement, and I mentioned it last week also, how hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that was an astonishing statement because that is the opposite of what they had been taught. And so we see that Jesus begins here in Matthew six nineteen by saying, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. That is, if worldly treasure amounts to nothing concerning righteousness, then don't divert yourself from the things that do. Seek after those things that bring righteousness. Then in verse number 20, he follows up with, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
And those two statements, don't lay up treasures on earth and do lay up treasures in heaven, represent the subject that we talked about last week, and that is the contrast in riches. In the last message, we looked at the key verse of this section, which will once again underlie the message today. This is verse number 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There are two places to accumulate treasure, and where you decide to put your treasure, that's where your heart will be. It will be fixed in that place. If you constantly pursue earthly treasure, then your heart will be on earthly gains. But if you are seeking heavenly treasure and the kingdom of God, then your heart will be upon God, and it will be upon what God's will for your life is. Now, Jesus presents the contrast of the heart's pursuit in three ways in these six verses. He speaks of treasures that can be taken away. That's first. Then he he speaks of the type of vision by which you view God and the world. And then thirdly, he, he talks about the master that you choose to follow. These three are summed up by the treasure that you choose to pursue. Now, the contrast in riches is that one is corruptible, the other is incorruptible. In the first century, wealth uh, consisted of three different commodities. This is the way that they looked at it. The first would be their coinage of silver and gold. The second was the costliness of of the clothes that they wore. And then the third was their land and was the abundance of their agricultural crops. Jesus said, your silver and your gold, that can be stolen. Moths can eat your clothes. Rodents can defile your grain. Whatever you accumulate upon this earth, the Lord says, can be easily destroyed. But as a Christian, the rewards that you store up in heaven are always safe and secure. They, they can never be corrupted, never stolen, never taken away. Well, we've already talked about the first of those examples. Uh, Jesus Uh, showed us how we looked at wealth. The first was the contrast between the corruptible and the incorruptible. It's the contrast of these two types of riches and the place where you put your riches. And then the second example is where we begin today. This is the concern for the heart. We find this in verses 22 and 23. Now, really, all the examples are about the heart, but they're presented in three different ways. In the second example, the condition of the heart is represented by vision. Verse number 22, the lie of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now here, here is the first principle for us to understand. And that is the stability, the stability of single vision. The Bible often uses vision to illustrate understanding. For example, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, Unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Seeing there represents understanding. Unless a person has been regenerated, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, he can never understand the things of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul used the the same type of example in a negative way when he said that Satan has blinded the eyes of people to the gospel. This is what we read in our 
call to worship. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Light enters through the eyes. And when the eyes are blind, then the body is darkened. When the body is darkened, of course, you can't see. No one sees when they're blind. And similarly, when the mind is blinded, there is no spiritual understanding. Satan blinds people to the gospel so they don't understand it. The natural man can never understand spiritual truths because he is blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we notice in our text that Jesus says, if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. And when he talks about the eye being single, he's speaking of the healthiness of the eye. If the eye is healthy and the vision is clear, then the eye can focus as it should. And this healthy eye that he speaks of is emblematic of a, of a, of a spiritually healthy heart. That your heart is healthy when it's focused entirely upon God. Your heart is healthy when your spiritual vision is not distracted by the treasures of this world or anything that the world has to offer. Now the eye is that lamp that lightens the whole body. And when the eye is cloudy, it can never focus correctly. Now an illustration of this would be a window. A dirty window does not let unobstructed light come through. It doesn't allow a room to be properly lighted. If you come to my house, I can show you an example. My wife fusses at me to go outside and clean the windows. My wife doesn't like anything dirty, so to avoid her seeing that the windows are dirty, I just go through the house and close the blinds. And so she comes in and she says, why don't you open the blinds and let some light and it's dark in here. Well, I don't, because when she sees the dirt, it just reminds her I haven't cleaned the windows. You know, your husbands have that problem? Does that happen to you? I mean, you get some, you spill something on the floor and you just brush it under the rug so she doesn't see it? I do that all the time. And this is the idea that Jesus tries to get across here. A dirty window does not let in the right amount of light. And when it's dark, you never focus properly. Now, let me explain further. There is the stability of single vision, which is contrasted to the instability of double vision. James wrote, James 1.8, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is one whose vision is diversified. He can't see spiritual things clearly because he's trying to focus on more than one thing. Now, sometimes when I'm working on my computer, my eyes get tired, so I take off my glasses, I rub my eyes, and for a few seconds afterwards, I see double. And you would think, well, seeing double, that that might be a good thing, because you can see more, can't you? Well, no, no, you can be doubly sure what you're looking at. No, that doesn't work. You try driving down the highway with double vision, How can you be sure which of those two cars that are coming at you is the right one? 
which is the one that you need to dodge to keep from being hit head on. You just don't know. You don't want double vision because the focus is wrong and you end up in bad trouble. And this is what James means when he says that a double-minded man is unstable in all its ways. This is a man who's never quite sure. And then James makes another interesting statement in chapter 4. He says in verse 8, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And doesn't that really get to the heart of this matter? When you draw near to God and you focus on him, he will come near to you. But it's not as if God wasn't there all the time. And it's not as if God is far away. You just couldn't see him. You can't see where he is. But when you realize that God is there and he's watching you, that he's directing your path, that he is your spiritual strength, then you are content with whatever God would have you to have. You won't try to hoard up all your material possessions thinking that, well, I need this for insurance. Someday it may all be gone, so i got to keep it all for myself. I can't give that up. Someday I'll be without. But if you realize that God is there, God is directing your path, God is taking you where he wants you to go, and your vision and your sight is upon him, you can take that abundance that God gives and you can use it in his kingdom where it should be used. You ever noticed... How unstable Christians are when they lose the right focus. As a pastor, I see it happen all the time. There are Christians that have been saved for years. And when I evaluate the productivity of their lives, when I assess how much they've grown, I find they've not grown very much. Year after year, they stay the same. And if they haven't already fallen out of church, they're content To sit in the pew week after week and never contribute. I wonder sometimes uh, what the church treasurer thinks when he goes through offering envelopes. He knows who the members of the church are just like I do. But he knows something that I don't know. He knows who gives and who doesn't. Now I don't know if John does this or if he thinks about it. But he might assess by looking at this information that there are some church members who must invest their money in earthly treasures. And this is the reason that he never sees anything from them in the offering plate. Now, he'd never say a word to you or me or to anyone else about who gives and how much they give, but I wonder sometimes, what, what goes through the treasurer's mind when he pays the bills? Now, thankfully, the Lord did something for us that we, we just never thought possible. And that is, we could shut down church because of all this pandemic stuff. We could shut down church for for more than a year and increase the church coffers. Increase what we have in our bank account. And that just blows my mind that that could be possible, that we would have people give and give and give, though we have nobody actually physically here in the church. And the Lord just abundantly supplied for us. But now we see that that surplus is starting to slip away, and it looks more like it did before the pandemic. Now, as a pastor, I, I, I'm a, evaluating things in a different way, not just looking at money, because I know this, when Christians will not help in church work, and when they're the type of Christians that have to be chased after so I can figure out what is wrong with them, I always assume there's something unspiritual that's gotten into their eyes, and it's clouding their vision. They've got something other than God's work on their minds. Often it's their money. 
It is their work. It's their recreation. It's their vacation. It's the enjoyment of their money. And much of the time, they, they just won't turn loose of the treasure to be used in God's kingdom. And then their personal service, that's an indication of what they think about their wealth. You see, a, you see, a person that's seeing double just never reaches good spiritual understanding. There's always a crisis that comes along that they can't figure out. And that's sort of some of what I referenced when we read that long chapter of Ezekiel chapter 14, that people come to inquire of God. They just can't figure things out. They don't know what's gone wrong. Well, part of what's gone wrong is they can't see straight. Their heart is off. Their vision is wrong. So there's always something going wrong. And many times you'll find with these people, something at church is always eating at them. Not happy about this, not happy about that. They often end up in gossip and with other spiritual problems because their vision is not right. The understanding is off. They are not singularly focused on God's kingdom and their hearts aren't pure. And isn't that what James said? Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, I don't know if you've read James chapter 4. I assume sometime or another you have. Do you know the context of James 4? He's not speaking to lost sinners when he said that. He is speaking to saved sinners. And if you take some time to read that chapter later, you'll find that he speaks in the context of covetousness. It was strife in the church. Strife and lust for their possessions and sensual pleasures. Maybe that's what could be wrong with your spiritual life. You're walking around with double vision and you can't focus long enough on the one singular thing doing God's will for your life. And you won't focus on it because you've got a different agenda. You've got a different agenda. It's your personal desires that are your constant pursuit. And don't think there aren't lessons that that I need to learn. Um... A pastor can let his idea of church success get in his vision and take his eyes off of Christ. This happens to me sometimes when I think about church attendance. Too often I see the crowd, not Christ. One thing that I would usually do is, after Sunday services, I go into the office and pick up the attendance slips to see what the count is for the day. I know who the members are, of course. And so after I look at that count, I start to figure in my head, well, what would that count be if this member was here today? Or that member was here today? Or this other member over there, what if they were in church today? What would that count be? And, you know, sometimes it just really bothers me. And there is a measure of pastoral concern for members that don't attend because I know they're not seeing clearly and I know that they'll not experience God's greatest blessings because they're not focusing on Christ And I'll let you in on a poorly kept secret. Being focused on Christ is also being focused on his church. And I'm concerned about those who aren't here. But I I don't want to lose focus on those that are here. There's a message that God wants you to hear. I must minister to you that came to hear God's word. You need to hear about serving Christ who is the proper focus of our lives. See, God's not really concerned about how many people are sitting in the pews so that we can compare our numbers to some other church. But nevertheless, we know this. 
A church member who ignores church services has a problem of double vision. There's something that he treasures more than hearing God's word and fellowshipping with God's people among whom he has covenanted together to worship the Lord. Yesterday in Table Talk, I, I read a quote from the Puritan Thomas Brooks. And he said that one of the ways that Satan seduces us to sin is to keep us from religious services. I'm happy you're here today. Be aware there's danger of being double-minded. And Satan wants that confusion. He wants you to have that confusion to keep you from faithfully serving God. You see, double-minded people have great difficulty dodging the spiritual disasters that come their way. And you may argue this point, and you may say, Preacher, you've got it all wrong. No, I really do love God. I really do love God's people. I really do love my church. Well, you don't have to win an argument with me. You need to agree with Jesus. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so if Sunday's your day to do something else than to be where God said you should be, you don't have the proper focus. I can't help you with that. That's God's word. One of our faithful members moved away several years ago. Before he left, he said, you know, I've seen a lot of people come and go in this church over the years. And he said, the biggest problem is you just can't find Christians anymore that are faithful. What is the result of single vision? Faithfulness. Single vision causes us to keep our eyes on the prize. That's what Paul said. I press towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And if I can take you back two weeks to the first message on this subject, we talked about the way that Paul reached contentment. He looked to nothing other than Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now analyze that statement and you see Jesus Christ on both sides of life, right? In this life. For me to live is Christ, and in the next life to die is gain. The focus is Christ. What did he mean? Well, he means that the focus can't be different in this life than it is in the next life. In fact, the next life is already here. Jesus said those who hear and believe have everlasting life. And he said they have already passed from death unto life. This would mean that it is unnatural for a Christian in this life who has eternal life not to focus on Christ. And it would be just as unnatural for a glorified saint in heaven not to focus on Christ. doesn't make any difference the location. You belong to Christ. He's the focus always. This life or the next. Jesus Christ is the focus. Location doesn't matter. So what's wrong with Christians who can take or leave church attendance? Well, I think we can answer according to Jesus. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you have double vision, you have spiritual cataracts that block the light and the focus will be off. You can't clearly see God's will for you. So what is it that clouds your vision? Can be your bank accounts. Could be your house. Could be your Recreation could be your education. Doesn't matter. Jesus covers it all in this passage. Somewhere, sometime, these Christians will be in trouble. Now, maybe I can straighten them out. Maybe I can't. 
But someday there will be trouble with them because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So there's only one thing that's totally predictable about this kind of Christian. They will have trouble with spiritual things because their vision isn't single. Now let's go quickly to the third example. Jesus gave insight into this problem by looking at the physical handling of wealth and the vision of wealth. And now he moves on to another way of approaching the same problem of the heart's treasure. This example is the choice of masters. Verse number 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, pay close attention to this because I think that Jesus increases the intensity of his examples. I think he's getting much more personal with this illustration. What did they call a teacher in Jesus' day? Sometimes the Pharisees mocked Jesus by using this term. They said things like, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The rich man said to him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Another one says, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Most of the time, they weren't honest when they used master when speaking to or about Jesus. Now here then, Jesus says, no man can serve to masters and one of these masters that he has in mind is him so I think he's getting more personal and Jesus may be asking you this very pointed question today who will be your master who are you determined to follow now let's let's notice two important implications of verse 24 the first is you can't divide love you can't divide love now, I'm going, to, I'm going to make this simple for you so you can get the drift of this very quickly. Which of you husbands will bring a girlfriend home from work and say to your wife, Honey, I'd like you to meet the other love of my life. How many of you think that that courteous gesture to let your wife meet your girlfriend, is that, that's what she wants? And so she'll say, Well, nice to meet you. Come into our house. Make yourself at home. Not in my house, just before my wife beat the stuffing out of my girlfriend, she would take a shotgun to me and she would say, you can't have two loves, I won't permit you to have two loves. If you want two loves, I'll send you both to a place where you can burn with love. (laughs) You understand that, don't you? You don't have trouble with that. The principle of divided loves. And reverse the scenario. What if she brings a man home? You're not going to live with that. It doesn't work. You can't love two women and the woman can't love two men. And the same is what Jesus says here about money or earthly possessions. All these things that you put in place to him. You can't love him and love anything else at the same time. He uses the word mammon. That means any kind of possession. Anything of material value. You can't have both. You can't love both. Now, let's go over to chapter 19 in Matthew for just a moment. You know anything about the Bible, you know this story. I've already referenced it. We can't pass this up when we're speaking of Christians and money. So we look in chapter uh, 19, verse number 16, Matthew 19, 16. 
It says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master. Now there, there you see the use of master, whether sincerely or facetiously, this man called Jesus master. Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Some people get really messed up with this story. They think, well, Jesus is teaching you can't be rich and go to heaven. Or perhaps he's teaching a a system of good works, like taking care of the poor. That will get you to heaven. Or he's teaching you must keep all the Ten Commandments. Make sure you do them all, and then you can make it to heaven. Jesus does none of that. He points out in a most vivid way that this man was in love with his possessions and not in love with God. So when Jesus told him to sell all his possessions, he was hitting this man right at the heart of his problem. He loved his riches. He wasn't quite ready to give them up and put all his focus on God and his kingdom. So he went away sorrowing because he wanted both. He wanted to divide his love for riches with his love for God, and God would have none of it. And God would have none of it because his love for his money was idolatry. You can't serve God and idols. God must be your only love. Made that very clear when we were reading Ezekiel chapter 14. Do you you understand this? That when you attempt to serve two masters, it's the same thing for you today as it was for that man. It doesn't matter what it is. Trying to serve two masters is idolatry. And that does not work with the singular almighty creator God. Idols will not work with him. Then the second implication of the text is you can't divide loyalty. You'll cling to one or the other. You can't serve both. Now let's think about this in the immediate, literal context of a slave serving a master. Now those uh, listening to Jesus were living in the Roman Empire at a time when 50% of the empire was in slavery. One of every two people walking down the street was a slave. They would get the point. They know what he's talking about. Slave was a piece of property. Had no rights. He had no opinions. He was owned by another. He was obligated to be in the full-time service of that one owner. He's property and nothing else. He's a thing, not a person. So he can't be owned by two masters at the same time. Paul used the same analogy when he was speaking of How that when a person becomes a Christian, that he becomes a bond servant to Jesus Christ. He can't serve the evil of sin and the holiness of Christ at the same time. 
You can't divide loyalties. And you should be able to see this easily because Christ will not let the devil own you when he owns you. You can't serve sin and Christ. Now, thankfully, the master we're talking about is kind and benevolent. He loves you. You are not just a thing to him. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are an heir to his inheritance. You're an heir to more eternal possessions than you can wrap your head around. You don't have the capacity to understand what's in store for you. Jesus says, your possessions are your master. And if you're possessed by possessions, you can't be possessed by Christ. Christ never accepts divided loyalties. But that doesn't stop Christians from trying, does it? Do it all the time. Martin Lloyd-Jones told a story about a farmer, a Christian man who was admittedly blessed by God. One night he went out to his barn to discover that his pregnant cow had delivered two calves. Well, that was unusual, and he thought, well, he had been so blessed by God that he ran back into the house to tell his wife what had happened. And he said, God has, God has really blessed us by giving us two calves, and so I think that we ought to dedicate one to the Lord. His wife said, well, which one will it be? And the man said, it doesn't really matter. We don't have to decide that now. We'll just raise the calves, and sometime later we'll decide which one belongs to the Lord. So time went by and they fed the calves and took care of them. They grew. Later, the wife asked her husband again, which one of these calves belong to the Lord? And the husband said, well, we don't have to decide that now. Don't need to. Both are nice and healthy. We can wait until sometime later to decide. A few months later, the husband went out of the barn and discovered one of the calves had died. So he went back to the house and he said sadly to his wife, I have some really bad news. The Lord's calf died. Now there's a problem there, isn't it? Our focus is on our stuff. We love our stuff. Have you noticed this? That when a bad economy starts eating at savings and times get rough, that it's the Lord's calf that dies? Why? Why? Why do offerings drop when the lifestyles of the people don't really change very much? It's because the Lord's calf died, not theirs. Friends, I'm telling you, Jesus may be getting very personal with you. Which master will you serve? Are you wholly dedicated to serving Christ? Or are you just trying to mix and match this thing? It won't work with God because you can't love him the way that he wants to be loved by di- dividing your loyalties between him and some other master. You can't have your heart set on the world and serve Christ well. Now you may think you're doing okay. And you're doing okay to your satisfaction. But you can never do it to God's satisfaction. It's time for Christians to narrow the focus and put an end to double-mindedness. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus repeatedly emphasized the difference between our standards and God's standards. And if you measure your service by God's standard, I think you might find some interesting discoveries in there. You can't have two masters. The question is, which one is yours? Let's pray. Father, we...
come to you thanking you for being the master who loves us, being the master who supplies all of our needs, the master who knows everything about us, that there's not a a minute, not a second of the day that goes by that your eye is not on us. There is not a time that our welfare is not your chief concern. Lord, we thank you that you work things for our good because we are your children. There is, there, is no, there is no bad outcome for a child of God. And now, Lord, what we need to do is focus ourselves on how we can serve you being gracious, merciful master that you are. Lord, we should be so ashamed of ourselves that we give so little of ourselves. Time, talents, money, whatever it might be. We give so little to you. Lord, help us to get that focus right. A single vision, a heart that's always stayed upon you. Bless our people today, Lord, and we pray for, of course, church members. We pray for visitors. We pray for those that are good friends of our church, and we thank you so much for everyone that is here today. And, Lord, we pray for, for them, and then we pray for anyone today here who, who may be lost and needs to make a change in their life for sure. Thank you, Lord, for all these things, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.